You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Just about blocking the goal, keeping the other team from scoring, but it's setting yourself up. And I say, Matt, listen, if you will know who you are, and you will be on your side of the field, but you don't just know who you are and where you are, but you know where the ball is supposed to go, meaning that you know where your teammates are, and you know the objective, you're going to be able to set up plays to score a goal. But you can't just know where you are, you have to know where the play's at. So you've got to keep your head on a swivel, meaning you've got to know where the ball's on the field, where you're supposed to be, and where it's going to go once it touches your feet. And then you've got to know where you're supposed to be after it touches your teammate's foot so that you can set up a play, have a set play to score a goal. See, this is God's design for us when it comes to understanding that Jesus in us is the hope of the world. The first truth that he has got to get in, the Holy Spirit has got to get in us, is who we are in Christ Jesus. The second thing is that he has to get in us is what we've been called to do. It's not enough for you to know who you are alone without knowing that God has put hope in you, a calling in you, something that you've been created to do to show people the truth of Jesus Christ. And when these two things have been imprinted into your heart, then it causes you to respond differently in the world. It causes you to respond differently in the world. And so when we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to just give you a little bit of background on on 1 Peter. Uh, You need to understand this because it's important to understand where the scripture comes from in the context of it. This is going to come as a shock to many of you, but 1 Peter 1 and 2 were written by the Apostle Peter. It has his name on it. It's his. Some people don't agree with that, but he, he may have written it with a little bit of help. But it was written by the Apostle Peter, the one that walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and even denied Jesus and was forgiven by Jesus and tried to walk on the water. This is the guy. This is him. And Peter was living in Rome during the time that he wrote this. Most scholars agree upon this, that he was written as toward the tail end of Peter's life. And it was during the reign of a particular emperor in Rome called Nero. And maybe you've heard of Nero. Nero was a tyrannical, crazy emperor that burnt down Rome, everything except for his palace. He would take and he tried to blame all the faults on his poor leadership on the Christians, and he began to mercilessly murder Christians. He would take and run them through at the stake and then light them on fire alive to light up his gardens. It's awful stuff. Why am I telling you this? Because Peter writes to a group of people during this time, extended through the Roman Empire, that are facing things that are desperately unfair to the lifestyle that they have been called to. Not only that, but they are challenging hope in them. Can I tell you something interesting about Nero? The only reason why you may have heard of Nero is because he took up a small little time frame in the blip of history. But Jesus Christ has extended through history as one of the most influential leaders across any kind of religious or non-religious understanding. Do you know why? Because there's something powerful about Jesus Christ. And so what Peter was giving through the Holy Spirit to the church that was scattered abroad, that was living under this fear and living in this place where they were being challenged to live quiet or to live in a hopeless state is the reality that when Jesus Christ lives in you, it is not just hope to you, but it is the hope of the world. 
And he writes this, First Peter, he writes this to the church, to the, to the elect that are scattered abroad. And, and they've been evangelized by other people who heard about Jesus. It's been spread throughout there. But one thing he, he challenges them on, and this is where we get a little bit of context, and this is why I tell you this. Is because he begins to refer to them as strangers and aliens. And it's not because they did not have legitimate citizenship in the country they resided in. It was because they did not spiritually line up with the world they lived in. And do you know what Peter never one time told them to do? Go hide. Not one time does Peter say, keep your mouth quiet. Not one time does Peter say, you know what? Just back off a little bit. The Holy Spirit through Peter says, even though you're strangers and you're aliens, you're a peculiar people. You're set apart to do something. You're set apart to show and to house and to harbor the hope of God in you so that the hope of God comes out of you. And some of you today feel a little bit like those people, don't you? You're trying to get a bearing on where you fit in in this world as you see it kind of turn around and turn on its ear and go different directions. And you don't quite understand. But here's the reality is that this is the time you have been created for. There is not a better time to live as a son or daughter of God. Because in this place, you can be filled with the hope of God. All right. So who are you? Who are you? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> All right, some, some of you guys got that. All right, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. This is what Peter writes here, the Holy Spirit writes. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and all who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And sprinkled with his blood. Peter begins to paint this beautiful picture. The Holy Spirit begins to paint this awesome picture. Of what it means to be called by God. To understand exactly what it means to be God's. For us to understand who we are. He uses powerful words. Chosen. You know what it means to be chosen. It was always my greatest fear in middle school. To be picked. You know. Like time to pick teams. I always wanted to be the captain, so I knew I wanted to be picked last. You know, I choose me first. All right, here we go. Whew. I'm on a team. I had an older brother who loved, loved, loved to make sure I got picked last. It was his job to torture me. He saw it as a rite of passage. So he would make sure I get picked last. And some of us hold on to kind of some of that understanding, and, and we, we feel like we have been picked last. What God says about you is this, how he sees you is very clear. He says, listen, you've been chosen, and it comes with a special thing. It means to be set apart for a good work, a very special assignment, a mission that God's called you to for, something that requires that you have the hope of God in you. But Peter goes on and says this, that we have been called to be obedient, that we have the ability to obey and follow God's work and what he asks us to do. That's great news. I tell that to my children. You have the ability to obey. 
It is not something that you say, oh, I just can't do it. No, you've been given the ability to obey. But here's the thing. It's not obedience and mindlessness. It's not obedience like you're just being a flogged servant. That's not the picture that God's painting here for you at all. What he's saying is this, is that you've been called to something great. And that great thing might actually make you a little nervous. That great thing might require a little bit of courage. But you also have been equipped with the ability to obey fearlessly. You've been called to obey fearlessly without fear to say, God, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I trust you. I believe you. And here's why. You've been set apart because you have been sprinkled with his blood. And this is a very important word right here that's only used in the Bible. This word is only used in the Bible. And it means this. To be sanctified for good works. To be sanctified for good works. Sometimes in our thinking, what we do is we begin to say that, you know what, there's nothing good in me. I don't know what's good about me. And we pull a bad mindset into our walk with Christ. But here's what God says. Not only have I chosen you and set you apart for my hope to be seated in you to do good things. Not only have I equipped you to fearlessly obey, but I've sanctified you. I've equipped you that you are filled with my goodness. You are set apart with my goodness. The old, listen to this, is gone. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is what this means. It's impossible any other way. Any other thing, when you create a resume to go to a new job, you're thinking about all your past things. You're thinking about the people you want them to call and the ones you don't. Right? But when God says, come on up, I'm pulling you in, what he's saying is this. You don't have to worry about your yesterdays anymore because I see you this way and I've cleansed you from your yesterdays and I've called you into something beyond you and it's my hope and I'm equipping you to do it. That's good news. That's good news. All right. And then Peter goes and says, grace and peace to you in abundance. Grace and peace to you. What God says about us and who he calls us to be brings with it this grace and this peace. A beautiful grace that the favor of God is with us. But Peter goes and he says something else. He, he says, listen, I know you, you need to understand who God has called you to be. And he starts off this letter to them because he wants them to, to really get it in them, to understand. I know what you're walking through. I know the things that are crazy in your world, but this is who you are. This is what God has called you to be. And then he goes back around and he says, listen, in 1 Peter 1.6, in all of this, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Peter looks at him and says, listen, I'm not just blowing smoke here. I'm not just blowing smoke up your backside. Trying to get you hyped up on something here. What I'm telling you is this. Is that the hope of God in you as one called of God. That's filled with his grace. The ability to do what he's called you to do. A new creation. Even though you walk through these hard things. Understand that they are never anything that is going to hold you down from your calling that I've called you to, to do. 
And he calls them these momentary things, these light things. He doesn't deny the reality of the hardships of our life, but he puts them into perspective. And this is what God wants us to know, because part of knowing who we are in Christ Jesus is knowing what we're not. And what you're not are the circumstances of your life. What you're not are the hardships of your life, the afflictions of your life. What you are not are the mistakes of your life. What you are not is the pain of your life. That is not who you are. That is not who you are. With my son, when he plays soccer, there are times you play a team that is physically aggressive to the point where they're trying to do some damage to another player. And I have seen my son go up against guys and they're trying to do illegal things to him and he gets mad and he'll, he'll respond a little bit. And you know what I have to do to my son is I do this on the sideline. I'll watch him and I'll go. It's amazing what this does. Even in a crowded place. And all I need is just one moment for him to look in my eyes. I want him to see me for one second. I want him to look at me and I say, that's not how you play. You'll beat them with skill. You will not beat them on that level. Here's what God says. You have to understand who you are and then what you're not. Because otherwise what takes place is this. Is that you're going to begin to respond to your circumstances, to your pain, to your mistakes, to the yesterdays, to these things. And you're going to begin to live in a dual mindset. You're going to understand that maybe you've been called to good things, but you can't get rid of your yesterdays. You can't get rid of the junk. You can't overlook the sufferings that you're walking through. And there has to come a point in time in our life that we are firmly convinced of who we are in Christ Jesus, and we sell out to that truth. That we resign ourselves to that hope that what he's called us to. There has to come a point in time in your life, no matter what you walk to, that you lay it at the feet of Jesus and you resign yourself to the hope of God in you. You resign yourself to the fact that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The second that you do that and you put that at the feet of Jesus, your yesterdays, whatever happened, no matter what it was, can no longer hurt you. You begin to live in the truth of what you've been called to be. What have we been called to? What have we been called to? If we understand who we are, what have we been called to? And it's very simple. We've been called to hope. We've been called to hope. In 1 Peter 1, 3-5, it says this, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into the inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And here's what the Holy Spirit says to us, this hope, when we talk about hope, and we need to talk about hope for for just a second here, is that hope isn't an emotional thing. The definition that the world gives hope is something that is, is associated with like Christmas stories, isn't it? 
we hope Santa Claus comes and brings us a present because there's nothing under the tree. You know, that's, the, that's kind of the storyline for hope, but that's not the reality of spiritual hope. What God says is this, that spiritual hope is rooted in something that's very powerful. It's actually bookended by Jesus Christ himself. And here's what you've got to understand about hope, is that hope starts in the truth that at the cross, Jesus overcame. At the cross, Jesus overcame. And because he didn't overcome just as a demonstration of his own power, he overcame for you and for me. So when we put our hope in something, what is this? What, what challenges our hope? What, what tries to diminish our hope? Enemies of our hope come in and try to crush our hope. Fear tries to come in and crush our hope. Anxiety tries to come in and crush our hope. But what God says is this, look to Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, because as a starting place, Jesus overcame. He overcame. And when we firmly fix our faith in the truth that Jesus overcame, what happens is that the seed of hope begins to flourish in us. That's the starting place. And so here's the thing about hope and why spiritual hope is so powerful. It's because of this. It's because it doesn't just stop there. And this is something that the, in the New Testament that the believers really held to. And, and, and the church here in the United States that we need to get a hold of. Because this is the thing that overcomes persecution. This is the thing that overcomes suffering. This is why hope begins to exceed suffering and pain. It's because the Holy Spirit says this, is that the hope doesn't just start in the fact that Jesus overcame. Hope ends in the truth that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Hope comes in the day that you will see Jesus face to face. Your hope never diminishes. There is not a bad day in Jesus when we see him as the one who has overcome and the one that is seated in the highest place, the one that we will spend eternity with. See, the church in the New Testament held to this. They understood that, you know, listen, when, when our feet are put to the fire, sometimes literally, and there, it's, the choice is given for us to deny Jesus, what are we gonna, what's going to keep us from saying no, no, no? Is the pain of the punishment going to cause us to deny Christ? And so the Holy Spirit says, listen, I want to put something in you that not only keeps you in line with me, but keeps hope alive in you. And some of you might be going through some stuff right now and you've been walking with the Lord and even the questions come in your mind to say, God, is it really worth it? And you need to anchor your hope to something. You need to anchor your hope to Jesus Christ and you need to look in the fact that he has overcome for you, but he is seated for you. He has secured everything for you in eternity. There's a song, listen, in the... In the view of eternity, the earth becomes strangely dim. That's actually a theological truth that the New Testament church held on to. See, when we don't live our lives in view of eternity and the hope that's been seated for us in Jesus Christ in eternity, what happens is that we begin to over-magnify the things of the world. And the second that we do that, we begin to wrestle with the reality of whether or not living for Jesus is worth it. But inevitably what happens at the end of that thought is this, is that somehow we end up not fulfilled, broken and bruised up. 
And if I can tell you one thing, it's this, is that if you call yourself a child of God, if you are a son or daughter of God, you have been called to live by the Spirit. You have been called to put your passion on Jesus Christ. Fix your passion on Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. Begin to cry out and say, Jesus, I want to fall in love with you. Listen, it will not be unmet. The Holy Spirit will stir up and fan a flame in you. And the passion that you are working for Jesus Christ will begin to grow and grow and grow. Not only that, but you will have a fellowship with the Lord that you've never experienced before. Listen, just anchor your, anchor your faith to hope, the hope of Jesus Christ. It's what you have been called to. It's what you've been called to. And then finally, this makes us respond a little different. First Peter chapter 1 talks about two ways that we respond differently based on who we are and what we're called to. And the hope of God is in us. What happens is this. We're not just living for the purposes that God's calling us to, but we're being a reflection of life into the world. How does this make us respond? First Peter 1.15 says something that is, is uh, even as a kid, I, I would read this and I'd go, man, this is tough. This is hard stuff right here. I don't really like this scripture right here because it felt like a real heavy weight. It says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Some of your translations say, be perfect. I believe you have a New King James Version that says, be perfect. That's rough. Be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And as a kid, I used to read this and go, man, God, I'm going to be perfect. And, 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 I, and I got, and I, even as a child, I got bound to some legalism. Legalism is this, is when you're trying to obey the letter of the law, like the word of the law, without understanding the spirit of the law. The intent of the law. So what I want to do is I want to unravel this for you. Because when you go back, and the one thing I want to do with every message that I speak is I want you to think. I want you to want to go back and read this for yourself. That's why I didn't read the whole chapter to you. I want you to go back and study and ask the Lord. I want you to chew on it. And when you go back and you read this, listen. The one thing that the Holy Spirit is saying concerning this, because when we know who we are, as sons and daughters of God and the hope of God rests in us, then we respond differently. We respond in light of the calling that God's given us. And the two ways that we do it is this, in the, our faith and in our love. In our faith and in our love. We begin to respond accordingly. In 1 Peter 1, 6-9, it says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though for now a little while you have had to suffer grief in many kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Our faith begins to respond based upon the hope of God inside of us. And, and the scripture says something very powerful though. It says this, though you've not seen him, you love him. 
See what faith, with, when hope's in us, it, it causes us our decisions to shift a little bit. We begin to respond in, in, in a fervent passion for the Lord. What happens is this, is that we begin to make His promises our priority. The promises of God in our life, the priority of our life. And this is what the Holy Spirit is saying here. Say, listen, even though you, you don't see Him, you do something phenomenal. You, you still love Him. Even though you don't see Him, you're still responding to the truth of who He is. Somebody doesn't just naturally do that. They do that because there's something inside of them that is stirring them and causing their decisions to be based on something greater than what they see. So the Spirit of the Lord says this, listen, as a people called of hope, we are to walk by faith in our decisions. And we walk according to the promises of God and they become the priority of our life. God speaks something, we trust it, we believe it, and we do it. Walking by faith means this, that we believe and we respond to His Word. We believe and we respond to His Word. That there is a seed that's put in us by the Holy Spirit as we read the Word that begins to grow inside of us, and we respond to that. It means that we love Him passionately. We love Him passionately. That we pursue a relationship with Him. Faith is alive and faith is growing. Faith responds. Faith challenges us. Faith challenges us not to look at things that we see on the surface level and respond to them the way we want to in our flesh. I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm, let me just let me break this down, okay? Let me take this out of a spiritual context and put this into a practical one real fast. I have steadily been very selective about the news that I read and watch. Because if I can just say something in a very real way, that there is a challenge every believer is going to face on whether or not they are going to respond according to the Holy Spirit or respond based off of what they see. And 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, that as a chosen people understand that we're called to carry the hope of God into the world. We walk by faith. And part of walking by faith is not gauging things off of what we see, but being responsive to the one that we know who we don't see, who calls us to love, who calls us to extend, who causes us to walk in grace, who causes us to open up our mouth for what is true, what is honorable, what is right. Not to chime in in what is just happening and go with the flow. See, there's not a lot of difference between the context of what, how the Holy Spirit wrote this book to the people that, that Peter's talking to and for us today. There's not a lot of difference between the context. The only difference that we have is that our feet are not being put to the fire. Our lives are not being persecuted. We're not there. There's other parts of the church throughout the world where they're there. Friends, if I could just say something in gentleness and love and, and keep this from a place that you just kind of feel like this is not, 
something that maybe you need to grab a hold of today, but something that you own because the Holy Spirit's the same throughout the world, is that even more so for us, it's our responsibility to respond and reflect what the Holy Spirit is saying on the earth. To walk by faith in that manner. There's no excuse. The second thing that he says is this, is how you love. And love is based in our reaction, isn't it? How we respond to stuff. In 1 Peter 1, 22-25, it says this, Now that you've been purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and the glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Listen, Peter concludes this first chapter here with this, this scripture from Isaiah. And begins to say, and listen, our reaction, our, the way we love, it makes the difference. And he makes the connection between the way we love being like an imperishable seed. Being like an imperishable seed, something that doesn't fade. And isn't it remarkable that the life of the believers during that day, that it, it was greater than, than the, all the history in Rome put together. That it exceeded all of that, all the persecution and all the hatred and everything that took place and extended itself to this very place today, that we are fruit of that very moment. It's amazing to believe that by the decision of some of these believers to take the word and to allow the Holy Spirit to birth that hope in them, that today we're here as a result of that faith. And their decision to love the way that God asked them to love and to react according to the Spirit in love. And he says this, listen, I want you to love each other deeply. I want you to love each other purely. I want you to love each other from, from the heart. And see, one of the things that has to be redefined about the church is that it cannot be based off of cheap love anymore. Is that there has to be a people that stand up and say, Jesus, you are the hope of the world, and we really, truly want to love the way that you love Jesus. And it starts with the way we love each other. That there has to be a love that abounds in this place that is real, that is authentic, that cannot be denied, that can't be made up. It's not hype. It doesn't feel insincere, but it's deep and it's loving and it's kind and it's healing. It's from the heart. And what that means is this, is that it heals. Is that it heals. And that comes with an acknowledgement within the house that we're all willing to grow and we're all willing to love and we're all willing to share that because when we get that going, what happens is that it goes into the world. It's never been meant to be contained within the church. And so when the Holy Spirit says it's an imperishable seed, what he's saying is this, is that it goes out and it transcends something because not even the emperor of Rome could snuff out the love of God on the people of God. And it began to become contagious. And it began to spread because it wasn't something that was fake or made up. It was authentic. It was life-changing because it came from Jesus. If there ever needs to be a revolution anywhere, it needs to be in the church and it needs to be today and it needs to be in our country and it needs to start with us and it needs to be an agreement that we have 
to be a people of hope, filled with the hope of Jesus that changes the way we move, our decisions based in faith, and the way that we love, that we truly love the way Jesus does. This is first and second Peter. And we're going to go through this, and as we do, the challenge that we have is this. Is to say, God, please burn in our hearts. And, and, and believe me, listen, it starts, it starts with, with us. It starts with me. It starts with us saying, God, burn in us a passion for who you are. Let your hope be burnt inside of us. And today, if you don't know hope, would you turn to Jesus Christ because he is hope? Would you turn to Jesus? Would you put your trust in Jesus? He is hope. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we come before you, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word is life and that it has the ability to produce life in us. This morning, if you're here with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't know Jesus and you'd like to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, if you'd like to invite his love into your life, Scripture says he's cleansed you from sin. If you put your faith in Jesus, Scripture tells us that you become a new creation in him. If that's you this morning without anybody looking, if you just slip up your hand and drop it back down. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father, for those who are making a decision today to follow you. Father, I thank you for those who are putting their faith and their trust in you. Jesus, we confess you as Lord and Savior. If you're making that decision with me, just say these words with me. Jesus, I trust you. I believe in you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your love and thank you for your new life. Thank you for putting your hope in me. Father, for everybody here, Lord, I pray that your hope would be birthed inside of us in, in a real way, Lord God, that we would understand exactly who we are in you. God, that we would know that every one of us that you've called to a very special thing. Lord, let hope arise inside of every person. And Lord, let it begin to change the way we respond. Let hope come out of our mouth and what we say and what we do, how we love people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before we dismiss today, um, I have a very uh, special and, and a little um, an exciting and, and a bittersweet um, announcement to make to you guys, this church family. If you're a guest joining us this morning, um, I'll try to explain this as we go. But um, Pastor Ken and Jeannie, who um, have been such a huge part of my life, and this church's life. Um, when, when I came on to be the pastor here, um, Pastor Ken had been here. Some of you guys remember Pastor Ken was here during um, the time bef before I came. And um, he was such a, a just a, a good and solid and godly voice in my life. And um, our relationship started there. I remember him calling me when I was in Los Angeles and just saying, Pastor, he always referred to me as Pastor. And uh, he's always humbled himself and been very, 
Very, very genuine in his love. Just like the scripture says. He and Jeannie both. And um, we've always known from the very beginning, even when we, we agreed on the decision for, for Pastor Ken to come and be a part of our team, that in his gift, and he and Jeannie's gift mix, that they have always been called to be senior pastors. And it's amazing when you find somebody like um, them who are just willing to come and serve a church and love a church from a place of purity. I'm saying all that to tell you that they've accepted a senior pastor position in Wichita Falls, Texas. And so they're going to be leaving us at the end of August to go up there and do that. And so I know that's bittersweet for many of you guys because like me, um, we, we deeply love them and we deeply honor them. And, and we, I, I will miss them. <laughs> I will miss them. And so many of you guys will miss them too. But we also need to be excited because God's at work and doing a great thing in their life. And so in the weeks to come, um, you'll, you'll see him. He'll be up there, kind of be going back and forth. But the last Sunday, he's going to minister here. and We're going to bless him. And then we'll have a fellowship across the street just to love on them and do that and honor them. And so do me a favor. Sp- space out your tears, okay? Um, don't, don't, don't bombard them, all right, all at once. They will be here. They'll be around. His phone will be on. Love them. Encourage them. And um, let's, let's see the hope of God in this situation and believe God is doing good things. And so freedom is being multiplied in this house, in Wichita Falls, all throughout. And so God is good. Amen. So let's stand to your feet. Everybody smile at me. I should have had a joke for this moment or something. <laughs> All right, here's a joke. It's the Cowboys. All right. <laughs> All right. Just kidding, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. It's not, not appropriate right now. Father, I just declare your grace and your mercy over every person. Lord, let your goodness... Follow them all the days of their life. Let them see, Father God, your goodness shine upon them every day. Let them know and experience, Lord, what it is to know the love of God every day over them, over their lives, over their families, over their marriages, over their children. We declare it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. We look forward to seeing you Wednesday night, 630 at the park for our time of family and fun.